Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The high cost of living isn't going away in 2024. I'm also getting into Hamilton's next tax hike, the holiday blues, and the year that was in TV, music, and Forge FC. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. What was the biggest issue, the biggest topic of 2023 in this country? Housing and homelessness, certainly up there. Concerns about the wars in the Middle East and Ukraine, carbon tax, climate change, health care, those are all in the mix. Number one, however, is the cost of living. A recent RBC survey found financial uncertainty is the new norm for many Canadians. Inflation is to blame. But it doesn't sound like the Bank of Canada is going to help us anytime soon. I know it's tempting to rush ahead to that discussion. But it's still too early to consider cutting our policy rate. Well, there's Tiff Macklem, the governor of the Bank of Canada. How has the cost of living crisis impacted us this year? And will it be a big worry again next year? Colin Mang is an economics professor at McMaster University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Colin, thanks for waking up with us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. This higher cost of living has wide-ranging impacts, higher mortgage rates, inability to pay down debt, uh, our, our ability to save for a rainy day, you name it, the higher cost of living is uh, packing a punch this year. Yeah, it really is. It is the major issue of our time that we're dealing with. We've had record high inflation uh, over the past couple of years. It has come down. I mean, one of the nice things that we are seeing last year at this time, inflation was 6.8%. It's now down to 3.1%. So the work that the Bank of Canada has been doing with higher interest rates to try to bring down inflation, it is working, but it is a long process. It's interesting that you mentioned the the housing is as the issue you wanted to start with, because that is really the core component of this cost of living problem. I mean, this has been an issue that's been ongoing for uh, seven, almost 10 years now, and that's really what continues to drive current inflation. Yeah, and the Bank of Canada interest rate decisions is only one part in us paying more in terms of mortgage rates and interest rates, whatever the case is, because, you know, from the housing and rental property aspect of it, because that sector is so out of whack, it's affecting everything else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what we're seeing this year, we've seen rents go up by about 7%. Uh, what's really hitting family budgets, those folks who've got a mortgage on their house, uh, as those renewals are starting to come up this year, we've seen mortgage uh, payments increase by 30% on average for, for Canadian families. So that's what's really putting a squeeze on family budgets. Let's go back to Governor Tiff Macklem from the Bank of Canada. He said that he expects 2024 to be a transition year as higher interest rates slow down the economy, making way for lower inflation. What do you envision is the game plan for the central bank? Yeah, so when you look at what the central bank has put out over the past couple of months, they think that inflation is going to be between 3 and 3.5% three and over the coming year. And we're at 3.1% right now, so that is sort of within that range. Now, as the economy does start to cool off a little bit, and since inflation has come down, I do think they're probably going to get one, maybe two rate cuts going next year. Uh, we'll probably see a rate cut in the spring and then maybe another one in the fall, but it won't be a, a substantial you know, cut there. We're not going to be going back to the interest rates of you know 1%, 2% that we saw a few years ago. Uh, I think you know over the coming year, they're going to be very, very cautious. 
we still do have a, a long way to go. They are predicting that inflation is going to still be about 3% this time next year. We're not going to get back to that 2% target until 2025. And I think just from the bank's credibility perspective, you know, they say they want to get back to 2%. They're going to have to keep rates high enough, long enough to make that happen. Because if they don't get back to 2% now, before they start making large rate cuts, people aren't going to believe them in future when they say they want to get to 2%. What's going to be interesting too, if we see one or even two rate cuts next year, and they're probably both going to be quarter of a point, so we'll be at what, 4.5%, is once those announcements are made, how Canadians respond? Do they go out and spend? Do they say, okay, here's my here's my chance to save? Is there any um, uh, guesstimate on how do you think Canadians are going to proceed? So I think anyone who does have a mortgage that is coming up for renewal is is not going to be substantially affected by small rate cuts. You know, if we're just looking at a quarter point, uh, maybe you know, in total a half point by the end of next year. I think anyone coming up for renewal on their mortgage is still going to keep in mind that their payments will jump by twenty to thirty percent. So I don't think it's going to have that kind of impact for households that have locked in their mortgage for a longer term. You might start to see people you know, borrow against a line of credit as interest rates start to come down. But you know, interest rates are going to be on the higher end of what we've seen over the last 20 years, and that's going to continue through next year. So I think it's still going to you know, keep a lid on consumer spending. We've also heard that food prices next year are going to go up on average between 25 to 4.5%. Any relief in sight going into the future? Yeah, so that's an interesting one. I mean, food prices, you know, it's a major thing that families spend their their budget on, but prices have been changing in a lot of different ways for a lot of different products. So we look at prices right now, you know, beef, pork, those are up 25 to 30% compared to last year. Apple and orange juice are both up about 20%. But then when you look at things like rice, you look at milk, uh, you look at things like wheat flour, laundry detergent, chicken, interestingly enough, uh, those prices are all pretty much where they were last year. Those, those prices have leveled off. And then you see prices for things like pasta, which are down slightly, lettuce. Uh, you know, it's a good thing if you like to eat salad. The price of lettuce is down almost 30%. Uh, we also see other things like canned soup down 25%. So uh, grocery prices, some things are still going to continue to accelerate next year, but some things have already leveled off and, and some goods are getting cheaper for families. So that's going to be a little bit of a benefit. Well, we'll end this on a positive note. Colin, thanks for the time. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. All the best in 2024. Thank you. Have well, a good day. You too. Colin Meng is an economics professor at McMaster University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I can guarantee you it won't be 14% and it won't be more than 14%. Uh, it's a tough budget year. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of pressure that uh, uh, that we're feeling as a city, but families are feeling that pressure too. I mean, whether it's inflation, whether it's the cost of labor, the cost of goods. I mean, it's everything is really, really expensive right that now. is the voice of Hamilton Mayor Andrea Horvath joining me in studio this past Monday talking about uh, 2023 and the year to come and what's to come we think is a big residential property tax increase right now it sits at 14 percent and as you heard mayor horvath saying eh, that's not gonna not gonna be where it ends up but even so as hamilton budget talks continue there are a lot of residents who are feeling nervous very anxious about what the final number is going to be 
Vito Scro is a former mayoral candidate and political insider and joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Vito, welcome to the show. How are you? Good morning, Rick. And put me down for a no on the weather, please. I, I hate winter. Yeah, <laughs> and it's ab- dark and it's cold. And no, no, I'm a definite no. I'm with you. I think you reach a certain age and winter is fun no more. I mean, when you're a kid, street hockey, building snowmen, you know, having snowball fights, a, a lot of fun. Driving in it, not so much. So I'm with you. Exactly, exactly. So Mayor Horvath was in studio on Monday, and she promised her 2024 tax increase is not going to be 14%. It's not going to be higher than that. This council can't possibly pass a double-digit tax increase, right? Well, they better not, because I'm starting to see people who have never really been involved in the local political scene start to take notice and start to ask, how do we fight this? Um, 14%, there's that old trick for, you know, you, you start with a number, you cut it down and you say, look, look at all the work we've done. 8% is ridiculous. 7% is ridiculous. 14% is a non-starter. And let's acknowledge this is going to be a very, very tough year for uh, council. And there's a lot of new council members and I'm hoping they come to their senses and realize it's tough out there for people. You had your guest on before the news uh, describing, you know, with interest rates and mortgages going up and so forth. So I hope this council um, comes to their senses, gets off their ideological agenda and and starts doing what a city is supposed to do. Basic services, roads, parks, uh, the Board of Health, police, uh, roads, sewers, things like that. Another, another big issue in this city and many communities in this country is housing and homelessness. Uh, we have an encampment protocol in place that was established this year. There's a new winter response strategy. I mean, it's it's something. It's not perfect, but it's something. Uh, you know, there's there's no shelter spaces. We're using HSR buses to potentially, you know, keep some homeless people warm. The tiny shelters idea blew up. The urban boundary is not expanding. We're building from within. How does Hamilton make a dent on housing and homelessness in 2024? Well, you you stop doing what they've been proposing proposing all year. You know, they've proposed hiring 400 new people, uh, a lot in top management positions. That adds 30 to $35 million going forward every year. That's another 2% just on our budget. Um, they, they're spending $750,000 on e-bikes. They're accelerating the bike lanes when the roads underneath them are completely, completely dissolving. I live across the street from one of the the city's largest housing projects. There's over 100 units empty. If you care about people living in tents, and they shouldn't be in tents, that that should not happen. Stop spending money on this, this, this agenda and start putting money towards these empty units. That's how you solve. And also... um, make the the process a lot simpler for for building these units it takes on average 18 months to two years to even start talking about getting a building permit done how does that help housing there there's a process that has to be fixed Vito Scrow is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Vito is a former mayoral candidate and a political insider as we talk about uh, the year that was and the year to come here on 900 CHML. There are some new residential towers going up at Pier 8 uh, in, in the years to come. Another project at Lime Ridge Mall combining uh, residential and commercial real estate space in a grand form. Do you, do you anticipate this is going to be the new norm in Hamilton? Well, there's a bit of hypocrisy going out there. Um, you hear, you know, we can't touch the green belt. And, and I agree, there's a lot of housing that can be done in, in, in the urban area that as is existing. But for that to happen, you can't get upset 
that a tower is going up in your neighborhood on the waterfront in Ancaster and Stony Creek. I live in a 17-story tower. I've been here 25 years. They're, they're, it might not be built today under the current uh, environment, and that's wrong. Um, what is it we want? We need more houses. I think uh, we need 40,000 units in the next 20, 30, 40 years. We will never reach that with the current attitude right now. Every time you try to go more than three or four stories, the neighborhood you know, is up in arms. So what is it we want? How do we want to build? Um, you don't want to go into the green belt. I understand that. And with the scandal that happened with the Ford government, that's clearly wrong, if not illegal. But you can't have it both ways. Last one for me. We've got about a minute to talk about uh, the big challenge, especially for downtown businesses, because we... We know or we think the LRT is coming at some point, but also First Ontario Centre is basically going to be shut down from next year until about October 2025. Can you imagine trying to start a business in downtown Hamilton with those two realities? Uh, well, the people who follow the 2018 election know my thoughts on LRT, and, and I'm not convinced it's ever going to happen. You're probably going to hear for more money needed to even get it going uh, that's going to be tough along Maine. They've changed the route already. They've they've stopped building certain parts of it. There, there's a parking structure they canceled near McMaster. There's that bridge on Longwood, um, the Eaton Center or the City Center, whatever you call it now. That's that's disappointing. And now they're saying up to ten years. It, it's going to be tough. Um, we've got to stop this ideological fighting with ourselves and just do what's best for the city. Vito, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All the best in 2024. To you too, Rick. Take care. That is Vito Scro. He is a former mayoral candidate, political insider here on GMH. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Christmas blues, the holiday blues, all month long. Happy holidays. Hamilton has been a feature that we have uh, tackled some, well, some fun issues like Christmas trees, uh, Rankin Bass earlier on this week about uh, the claymation or stop motion animation TV specials, holiday baking, holiday budgeting, you name it, we've tackled it here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And today's no different. We're talking about the holiday blues. And here to help us along is Timothy Gordon, the Zen social worker who joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Timothy, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Can, yeah, can I'm excited you, to talk about this topic, actually. Yeah, can you, maybe we'll start with the definition of holiday blues. What are we looking at? So this is different from seasonal affective disorder. And what's important for people to understand is usually starting around November, right? We start hearing holiday music. We start seeing uh, the decorations out. People start experiencing, and, and let's be very frank about what we're talking about here, depressive-like symptoms. And what we mean by depression is people are not deriving pleasure, not deriving joy from a time period where they usually would, or from activities, seeing people doing things where they typically would. The symptoms are, as far as holiday blues are concerned, are usually relatively mild um, and will lift after the new year, whereas uh, with uh, depressive disorder, we'll see that sustain over a longer period of time. And seasonal affective disorder really lasts about 40% of the year, right? Starts when we start losing that, that light, things start getting colder, people get more isolated. When it comes to the trigger, obviously that's the holiday season. You mentioned the the music, the decorations, the lights, the the atmosphere, the shopping frenzy. How does someone who has the holiday blues kind of deal with it while this is all going on? One of the key elements is 
first of all, you have to be aware of what is actually happening with you. So if you're feeling a little bit humbug, if you're feeling like you want to isolate from people, if you're feeling like you want to start using substances more, um, these are our key signs that, hey, you might be falling into this you know, holiday blues, this depression-like symptom. Um, exercising is absolutely, I mean, you know, the research is validating this across the board with different types of mental health problems. So exercising in a way that works for you, elevating your heart rate, moving your body, connecting with others. And this might be surprising for you to hear me say, and I really want your listeners to, to dig into this because you're going to see the people who have the facade of the happy face. You're, you, there's a lot of people out there who are experiencing this, who are saying, yes, you have to learn how to say no. You got to learn how to reach out for help, um, setting realistic expectations for yourself so that you're not faking it in order to get through the holidays. That is essential. When should someone seek help, whether it's professionally or just reaching out to a family member or a friend to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not feeling 100%. I might have the holiday blues. Well, talk therapy and reaching out for social support, unlike uh, different kinds of, uh, of, of uh, interventions, you know, don't have negative side effects. So there is no time that is too early. You know, when's the best time to plant a tree? Yesterday, right? So if you're experiencing these symptoms, absolutely reach out, start talking to people. Preventative medicine, when it comes to our mental health, when it comes to stabilizing our mood and figuring out how we can create strategies to best deal with this time of year, again, I'm, I'm going to underscore this, is essential, right? We can, we can do a lot. And those triggers that might surprise people might not simply be uh, things like the music and the ornaments, but it also might be memories of their own past holidays. It might be feelings of isolation. It might be seeing people that are happy and deriving a lot of pleasure from this time of year and closeness. And you're starting to notice in yourself that you don't feel that way. Uh, um, there's going to be a lot of family gatherings, a lot of um, holiday uh, workplace uh, parties that are happening, and, and many have already happened. If someone yeah. does notice that another person maybe not appear to be 100%, even that facade is kind of not working, how do you reach out to that person in, as opposed to just you know sweeping it under the rug to say, oh, they just got the holiday blues? Well, it takes a lot of courage, and I, th your question is on point. So breaking a social convention simply by saying, hey, how you doing? I'm noticing that you're having a difficult time. And you might want to share some of your own reactions to this time of year. That can always be a, a deep validating uh, thing to do. But asking open-ended questions and really practicing being good at listening and just allowing for some some pauses and some silence Another thing that you can do is if you know somebody who you really truly think is is suffering is inviting them to be a little closer into your ecosystem, inviting them to be closer in contact to you so that they're not as isolated. Because some people just simply do not want to talk about their private feelings and the difficulties they have. That's understandable. Timothy Gordon is the Zen social worker joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Timothy, all the best this holiday season. Thanks for the tips and advice, and we'll talk to you in the new year. Thanks for shedding light on this important issue. Timothy Gordon, the zensocialworker.ca is the website to check out to get to more information on this and other stuff you want to check out. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's look back at some of the biggest stories on the big and the small screen this year. Let's bring in Bill Briou, television critic, journalist, and author here on Good Morning Hamilton. 2023, Bill, was a 
roller coaster for the TV and film industry highlighted by the Hollywood uh, writers and actors strikes. Uh, that was a tough time for many in the industry. Is it a better place now and going forward? Such a hard question to answer, Rick. It's in TV has been in revolution almost every year for as long as I've been covering television, you know, which is a long time. Um, I think that we've passed through the era of peak TV, uh, and that was really uh, exaggerated with all the streaming services because you had all these new channels besides Netflix and Disney and Amazon and uh, Prime Video and Crave, everybody. And they're the trying to provide a bottomless array of, of programming, and that's just an impossible business model. It's so expensive. Uh, imagine having to have everything all the time. Uh, so you've had the rise of fast channels bringing back all kinds of shows that are kind of free, like Pluto TV has been very successful in the last year. Um, but so what I think we're going to see in the future coming up now is less television from streaming services, uh, more like the old broadcast model so that you won't see just sort of shotgun approach that Netflix started, where it's just every Friday, here's 10 new things to look at. I think you're going to see that calm down and maybe hopefully just more quality shows. So, yeah, I was just going to say, do you think that means fewer shows, but the budgets will um, not necessarily change? It's just the fact that networks or, or the streaming services are going to focus more of their financial wherewithal on making the best possible show? Well, I, and I think the budgets will change. I don't expect to see another Game of Thrones for a while. Mm. You know, I don't think network spending or streaming services, $10 million an episode, $100 million for 10 episodes, that's breaking the bank. And I think you're going to see, you know, as we've noticed with the strikes uh, before they ended and even all fall, it was a lot of reality shows. You know, you had David Spade uh, doing a hosting a snake oil and things like that. Um, that was a stopgap. I think they're going to go back. Come January, all your old favorites, NCIS, Law and Order, FBI, this and that. They're all those hour-long American imports will come flooding back. But I think, um, you know, you might see shorter runs for shows. It's just tough times in broadcast and even streaming. Uh, and budgets are a big consideration. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Bill Briou, television critic, journalist, author. Find out more online at Briou.tv. That's B-R-I-O-U-X.tv. We had some notable deaths in 2023 from the world of uh, TV and, and movies. Uh, Bob Barker, Matthew Perry, Suzanne Summers. at least to me, those three kind of come to mind. I know there was so many more. Um, which ones kind of uh, piqued your interest the most, I guess, in 2023? Well, those three you mentioned for sure. And, uh, of course, Norman Lear mm, just yeah. died. He was uh, even older than Dick Van Dyke, 101. Yeah. And really, that was a sea change in television, all in the family. Uh, you know, TV really grew up. Before that, everything was, you know, uh, uh, shows about witches or genies or guys stuck on an island. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was very high concept. Uh, Hogan's Heroes, my goodness, you know, and then suddenly things grew up in the 70s and you got shows like All in the Family and MASH and, you know, then the Jeffersons, other Norman Lear shows, uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, quite an impressive list of hits he had, the Jeffersons. Uh, so, he, he and he just stayed vital, you know, and a fascinating guy. He wore, this guy flew like 48 missions in World War II over the Atlantic. Uh, incredible story. And so that was certainly one to mark. 
And Matthew Perry, very, very sad, you know, because he was so young, I think just 52 or three, um, I met him, met Lear as well. And so, um, yeah, you know, that, that one I think rocked a lot of people because so many generations kept watching Friends, even when it went off the air after mm-hmm. 20, 20, almost 30 years. Young people kept watching Friends. So it was sad for people who otherwise weren't even born yet when that show was on the air. Back to the Norman Lear, um, you know, the, the precedent setting shows that he created were, and I guess All in the Family is probably at the, the top of this summit. Was it a hit right off the bat? No, it wasn't. And I think CBS was, that's, they put it on in mid season in January of 71. They snuck it on. They sort of just threw it on the schedule because, you know, the show was shopped first to ABC. They did two pilots. They passed. It was a hot potato. Hmm. You know, you had this bigot saying outrageous things. And uh, so CBS put it on. It didn't really hit until that summer when summer reruns came. CBS reran the series. Suddenly people found it. And by that fall, it was a rocket, this show. People could not get enough of Archie Bunker. Can you believe what Archie Bunker said last night? And that was just ran up and down North America. And it was the number one show for five years in a row after that. On the small screen, there were some hit shows that came to a close, like Succession, uh, others like The Last of Us propelling Pedro Pascal into new stratosphere. Uh, the Bear mm-hmm. captivated audiences. What were the highlights for you when it came to most or maybe even least successful TV shows? Yeah, those are three shows that are very good. Um, I liked other shows that are maybe most people haven't been watching, right? Critics, sometimes we get bored. <laughs> so we start looking <laughs> at strange stuff. Yeah. There's a little show called How To with John Wilson, and it was its third and final season. Nobody's heard of it, and it was on Crave here, an HBO show. And it was just this guy in a camera in New York who would look at scaffolding or public restrooms or how do you clean your ears. It sounds really dull. But his perspective and his point of view, it was so humane. By the end of it, it's, it was very profound every episode. So if people have not found How To with John Wilson, check it out. It's really different. Somebody Somewhere, I think, is, a, is an interesting little show. It's a quiet little comedy. Uh, Bridget uh, Everton, I think is her name, is the comedian at the heart of that one. I like that one. I like Poker Face. I thought it was reminded me of... Um, you know, uh, comedies or uh, dramas, how to, how done it shows from uh, the 70s and 80s. Uh, but uh, the that show was kind of fun. And I still love Only Murders in the Building. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, Martin Short, he's from Hamilton. Yep. People watch Only Murders in the Building. It's just, it's just a sumptuous show with wonderful guest stars and it's funny. And uh, that's one reason I love that. And I love Son of a Critch. I think that's a pretty good sitcom on CBC. Mark Critch looking at the 80s, his own life. And you got Malcolm McDowell playing his dad. That's, a, that's always a good for a laugh for me. I look forward to our next get together, Bill. Appreciate the time today. Take care. Bill Briou, television critic, journalist, and author. Find him online at Briou.tv, B-R-I-O-U-X dot TV. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. From Swift Mania to an AI-infused Beatles song to a new album from the Rolling Stones. Yeah, it's true. It's been a wild year for the music industry, and here to talk about it is Eric Alper, publicist, music commentator, all-around good guy. Eric, good morning. How are you? 
I'm good. I'm good. Just mark me down under the no for for the winter. Duly but that's noted. another story. Duly noted. 2023, the year of Taylor Swift. There's no denying that, right? Yeah. You know, not only did she become Time Magazine's first person of the year for the entertainment world, but she just dominated everything. She had the very first billion dollar tour in her heiress tour, which by the end of it actually could be about 2.5, 2.6 billion dollars wow. by the time that she's finished. But she just really touched on so many aspects of our lives, whether it was watching the NFL because their ratings went through the roof whenever she decided to show up and support her boyfriend, Travis Kreese. Um, But yeah, dominating those charts as well with the re-recordings of her record. So it was absolutely Taylor's year this year. Yeah, she also had a number one movie as well about her era's tour. It's been a quite quite the ride. Yeah, and, and kind of, you know, allowing artists to start thinking about, well, maybe we too can bypass that traditional Hollywood system and go direct to AMC and Cineplex theaters and forget about the producers, forget about the distribution network. Let's just film our own concert video or concert film or documentary and go direct to the theaters. That's like artists going direct, putting them into record stores. It just doesn't happen. But now AMC has said that they're just being bombarded now by artists who want to do the same thing. Thanks to Taylor. I mentioned the Beatles and their AI infused song now and then as they pluck some audio from John Lennon way back when and put it into this new song. Did this song hit the mark? Yeah, I think so. I, it's not going to be one of those songs that I think you're going to be playing 10 years from now, like, say, A Day in the Life or She Loves You. But it was interesting that the world kind of freaked out a little bit when they first heard about this because Paul McCartney first dropped the the mention that they were using AI to make this song. And I think that people thought that maybe the AI technology would get John Lennon to start singing and playing things that he never sung or played. But it actually turned out to be a really great um, separation ability to kind of clean up his vocals a little bit and remove the the sound of the piano bleeding into his vocals. So this was a great example of how AI technology can maybe bring older songs back to the forefront. I wonder if we're going to see, you know, all of these estates like the Roy Orbison estate or the Buddy Holly estate now go back into their vaults and, and realize, well, maybe there's other songs that were unacceptable for those times, but thanks to this AI technology, we can separate everything like, you know, eggs and butter in a recipe. And there's clearly a market for it, the the nostalgia market, whether it's music or TV or movies, like people gobble this stuff up. Yeah, especially when, you know, some of the biggest stories of the year were from older artists, people like the Rolling Stones having their best album in decades, or even Dolly Parton releasing her first rock album, Rockstar, um, and Kiss ending off their world tour. It seems like, you know, the, the elder generation still has something to say and still has something to teach people. Speaking of the Rolling Stones, I mean, here's here's Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, who just like two, three days ago turned to 80. Two guys in their 80s <laughs> still making new music. It's incredible. We used to make fun of them in the in the 1980s when they were 35 <laughs> years old saying, when are you going to hang it up? Yeah. And so now we know the answer is going to be never. You know, and I thought I don't think anybody would have faulted them after. Charlie Watts passed away in 2021 for them to hang it up and maybe just 
continue to do their solo work. I think a lot of people thought that Charlie was really the heart and soul of the Rolling Stones. And while that turned out to be true, um, it didn't really stop the Rolling Stones from making a new album with guests like Elton John and Lady Gaga and Paul McCartney. I mean, that in itself is weird. Having the Rolling Stones even have any guest appearances is pretty astonishing when you think about it, because they really never do. We're looking back at the year that was in music with Eric Alper, publicist and music commentator. The music world lost some legends this year. Canadian Gordon Lightfoot, uh, Tony Bennett, Jimmy Buffett, Tina Turner, Sinead O'Connor. Big losses. I mean, these were heavy hitters. Yeah, and I think we better sadly get used to this. You know, you can add Jeff Beck to the name and yeah. David Crosby and and um, Robbie Robertson and Miles Goodwin just recently, um, you know, for all for various reasons. But, you know, one of the uh, amazing things about watching what happens after they die with the fan base is kind of wild because, you know, back in the day, you would have to, you know, if you wanted to play pay tribute or buy their album you would have to hope that the record store first of all you got to find a record store <laughs> um has a copy of the record and then you would go and buy it and play it and now we're seeing streams on spotify and youtube views be in the tens of millions after somebody passes away and the speed of which we're finding out these passings is um it, it, it's it's so strange when you know within moments of the announcement it goes worldwide and suddenly all their songs go back up on the charts got a minute to talk about 2024 is there an artist or artists or groups that you expect to make a big mark in the year ahead not necessarily in terms of of single artists but i would you know the rise of country music this year was was pretty was was wild to watch as well you know with jason aldean's try that in a small town and morgan wallen and casey musgraves and the fast car remake mm -hmm. climbing up the charts with an election year next year in 2024, I think basically the broadcasting of how America is going to feel is going to be coming from country music rather than what we're used to, which is probably hip hop. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next year. Yeah, that is a hot take. We'll look for that. Eric, always appreciate your time. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll uh, check back with you in 2024. Thanks for having me, Rick. We'll talk soon. You got it. Eric Alper is a publicist and music commentator offering his thoughts on the year that was and the year to come here in the music industry. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Forge FC once again climbed to the summit of the Canadian Premier League in 2023 and now preparing for its next challenge. Here to talk about it is Jelani Smith, Director of Soccer Operations with Forge FC. Jelani, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. When you look back at 2023, I mean, another championship season in the CPL, another North Star Shield, or in this this year's case, the North Star Cup. What comes to mind? What When you think of this championship run, what are the words that come to mind to describe this team? Uh, tenacity. Um, we, we had our the best start we've had to a year in our uh, in our short history here. But it was uh it was touch and go at sometimes. We had a, a bit of a, a bit of downturn throughout the summer and uh looking back on it now, this this success takes a lot of tenacity, it took a lot of uh of gumption, a lot of commitment from the guys, but we've uh we've had those big moments over the four over the five championships or four championship uh finals we've had and uh, the the guys came through and uh when it mattered the most. I've asked head coach Bobby Smirniotis about this as well. Four titles in five years. And and the question always comes back to, 
yeah, it's a, it's an absolute dynasty. But how do you keep the team motivated? Because they've already achieved that success. They're living the highest high. What keeps this motor churning out trophies? It's the culture we've created. I mean, like you said, Coach Coach Bobby is fantastic. He is a a high work ethic, but this is a part of the structure of, and the fabric of being a big club. The the players are. It's difficult to motivate sometimes when you already won, like you said, but. When, uh, when it comes down to it, the moments are there, the guys know what to do. So the next challenge on the docket is the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Talk about that. How does this tournament work? Uh, yeah, the qualifications for, for, for two CPL teams, so your, your regular season winner and, your, uh, of course, your, your North Star Cup winner are the two teams that qualify. And uh, you go into a pot of, of 27 teams uh, across the, the CONCACAF region. And uh, we, we drew Chivas uh, Guadalajara, which was a massive, massive... Uh, Club in Mexico, but hey, we have all to play for. We've uh, been in this competition before versus Cruz Azul, and uh, we almost got some results there, so we're looking forward to improving on that. There's a lot of attention paid to this tournament, too, because Lionel Messi's involved with Inter-Miami. Just talk about the hype of this CONCACAF Champions Cup and how exciting it is. It's fantastic. It's a great opportunity for our club, for our for our league to be amongst uh, the, our, our, our region's best, and Unfortunately, I would have loved to be in the to be in the bracket side where you get a chance to play as Inter because what a story that would be. But <laughs> unfortunately, the only way we see him in the final, so you have, have a job to do here. Yeah, I guess you just got to go to the final with Inter Miami. That's that's the only way it's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's talk about, and we're in discussion with Jelani Smith, the director of soccer operations at Forge FC. Let's talk about the evolution of the CPL. You know, five years ago, this was a league that was created basically out of nothing. The dream was to have a professional soccer league in Canada, really boost the um, the talent level and the exposure of Canadian um, soccer players. Has this league achieved that? Definitely, just like it was translated to our national team. I think uh, we've already had four or five players join join the national team, and uh, the Latour. We've had uh, we've had Joel Waterman amongst some names to, to, to name there. Even in, Amir did it. Tristan Borges briefly there as well. So ultimately, it's on his job. Our job is to develop and give a platform for young Canadian players, and the, the, the CPL has done that. The, the quality has grown exponentially. The amount of players that have been uh, able to showcase their talent and put Canada on the map and let the world know that we're a country reckoned with. We're also seeing it at the grassroots level as well. You know, more kids getting involved here in Hamilton and the Golden Horseshoe. We know the World Cup is coming to Canada, the U.S. and Mexico in, you know, four years' time. This is going, or three years' time, this is going to be uh, a massive boom kind of uh, era for Canadian soccer, right? De- de- definitely, you said it best. The, the the World Cup, there's no bigger stage than that, and the opportunity for us to host to assess our national team from uh, for qualifying for their the, the the first World Cup. And this is a uh, what the CPL is all about. This is what Canada football is all about. We have to be able to produce players to produce some quality and talent. I mean, we've done that. I think that 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 final we had was probably one of the most exciting and brilliant games I've seen in the from in playoffs in in general. Um, so to, to see that in the structure that we've, in the foundation we built from the CPL is nothing but exciting things. After another successful season, we're looking forward to 2024 already for the CPL, four-time CPL champions for Jeff C. Jelani, thanks for the time. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll check back with you in the new year. Sounds good to me, guys. Happy New Year. Jelani Smith, the Director of Soccer Operations at Forge FC. It is really and truly uh, an unbelievable success story when you think about it. This league, five years old now, going into year six. And this Hamilton-based team, 
that was compiled, like all the other CPL teams, has managed to, four out of the five years, win it all and be in every final. I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling. This stuff doesn't happen. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.